Now I'm going to invite the staff uh, and uh, volunteers, those that are here today leading our worship, to just come on down and get uh, a, a piece of bread from the railing. Uh, those who've been placed there by me, my hands were gloved. It's sanitary. Just take one loaf of bread. Come on, don't be bashful. Uh, take one of those uh, rolls and take it back with you to your pew because in a little bit we are going to break bread together. And I'll explain that when we come to that moment. Um, also, those of you that are watching at home, uh, I encourage you to uh, go to the pantry or the refrigerator and find some kind of bread if you haven't done so already and bring that to wherever you are seated and are worshiping today. Uh, you might want to bring your coffee or a cup of juice or a glass of water with you so that together we can experience the presence of Jesus as we recall this passage that I am about to read from Luke chapter 24, verses 28 through 35. We um, began a look at this passage, the extended passage, uh, last Sunday, and uh, we continue by focusing on the last half of it this morning, 28 through 35. Listen now to God's Word. As they, meaning these two disciples that Jesus met on the road to Emmaus, as they came near the village to which they were going, Jesus walked ahead as if He were going on. But they urged Him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So He went in to stay with them. When Jesus was at the table with them, He took bread, He blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized Him and He vanished from their sight. They said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while He was talking to us on the road, while He was opening the Scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and He has appeared to Simon. Then they told what, what had happened on the road and how He had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Let's pray together. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come and fill each home and each life that is connected to this service of worship this morning. Come and move mightily in this sanctuary among those of us who have gathered to serve in the house of God, in the sanctuary of our Lord, and to offer uh, this act of worship to our faith community and beyond. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here. We thank you, God the Father and Jesus the Son, that you are with us and for us. Come now and speak to us, we pray. Encourage our hearts, feed us and nourish us, O bread of life. In this we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, May 24th is a red-letter day in the United Methodist Church. Do you know why? Now, it may very well be the day that we are able to gather back together here. That's the plan at this point, that uh, 
that with the reopening of churches on May 20th, that we will gather on Sunday, May 24th, that red-letter day in United Methodist history to worship together as God's people. It was on that day John Wesley's heart was set on fire. May 24th, 1738. That was nearly 300 years ago. Wesley was the son of an Anglican priest. His mother was a very godly woman and the mother of many, many children. He trained at Lincoln College at Oxford University and became a priest himself. And as a young man in his early 30s, he came to the American colonies and was a missionary in Georgia, both to uh, the settlers there from Europe, from, from England, and especially to the, to the Native Americans that uh, were living in Georgia at that time. However, that was not an especially successful experience for Wesley. So he returned to London, and it was in a small chapel on a street named Aldersgate that his heart was strangely warmed. At that moment, in the weeks and months that, that preceded that, Wesley was very, very discouraged. He was almost in a state of despair. He told his friend Peter Bowler that he did not have the faith to preach anymore. When death stared him in the face, he said, I'm fearful. I find no comfort at all in my faith, in my religion. Though again, he had been raised in this very uh, devout Christian home. He told his friend Peter Boiler, uh, uh, Bowler, he said, uh, My misery is so great and my temptation is strong to give up on ministry. And Bowler counseled him in this way. He said, Preach faith till you have it, and then because you have it, you will preach faith. Preach faith, he said, till you have it, and then because you have it, you will preach faith. Now I'm sure John Wesley was puzzled by that counsel and advice. It seems a little backward and confused, but that's exactly what he did. Two days later, he went to a prison and he preached faith to a man named Clifford who was on death row. Wesley was very skeptical of deathbed conversions, having lived a very disciplined, devout holy life at Oxford and beyond, being raised in a tradition of, of discipline, self-discipline, and uh, spiritual discipline. Uh, Wesley was, was very skeptical of people who, as they were dying or nearing death, made a profession of faith. And yet that day he was astonished by the man's response to Wesley's witness of faith. He found himself crying out afterwards. Imagine this, the preacher himself crying out, Lord, help my unbelief. He continued over the next two and a half months to be tortured by this cold indifference in his heart and unmotivated even to pray. He had no assurance of salvation. And then he reluctantly attended 
this meeting, this prayer meeting at Aldersgate Street Chapel in London, and someone was reading from the preface, the preface of Martin Luther's preface to the epistle to Romans, his commentary on Romans. And, and I've read that preface, and my heart was not strangely warmed. <laughs> it was actually kind of dry and boring in my opinion. Uh, not any stories or illustrations, just kind of straight theology. But somehow under the power of the Holy Spirit at 8.45 p.m., while Luther was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, John Wesley said his heart was strangely warmed. And he felt at that moment that he did trust Christ and Christ alone for his salvation. And he finally experienced what he had sought for years. And that was this Christian assurance that he was in fact saved um, by God through the grace of God, through, through the sacrifice of Jesus and His cross. And, and His life was transformed. Aldersgate has come uh, to, to be synonymous for Methodist with a burning heart. And it was there that night that, that a fire for the Methodist revival was lit in England that spread throughout the world, especially to the American colonies. In the grace and providence of God, Wesley learned that three days earlier, his brother Charles, who authored thousands of hymns during his life, some that we sing here on a regular basis, that Charles also had one of these strangely heartwarming experiences. And this fiery duo of brothers became indeed a force to be, to be reckoned with in the 18th century. Several years ago, I received a handwritten letter from a member of our church who uh, was informing me that she was joining the Catholic Church. She had been attending off and on there and here, and she had had a heartwarming experience through the sacrament of Holy Communion. Uh, it was a lovely note. I still have it somewhere in my files. And she wrote this. She said, Dear Pastor Greg, I'm writing to tell you that I will be received into the Roman Catholic Church this Easter. I want to thank you for your love and kindness in baptizing me three years ago and embracing me into the Christian faith. I grew up in a home without any church affiliation at all. My parents used to be Jehovah Witnesses, and the absence of Jesus and the Holy Spirit as God was a scar on me for a very long time due to their unbelief of the Trinity. Uh, you are a wonderful preacher. I will continue, of course, to visit with my husband. I'm always eager to hear what you have to say. The thing is, I have come to believe in the real presence of the Eucharist. And I wholly believe the Catholic Church is where God is leading me. This is hard for me to tell you, she said, but I continue to thank God for giving me a good foundation at Georgetown First United Methodist Church. God bless you for your love and kindness. She signed her name, and then she put, P.S., I hope we can still be friends. And even though I felt disappointed that she had failed to understand fully what we believe, 
about the Lord's Supper as United Methodist, I did, did write her back immediately and I blessed her decision, told her that I would be praying for her, and I also reminded her that, that we too believe as United Methodist that the real presence of Jesus is in the breaking of the bread and the drinking of the cup. Now, today we look again at this Easter encounter that has um, overtones of the Eucharist, of the Lord's Supper in it, no doubt about it. When these, these two disciples encountered the resurrected Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, on the road to a village called Emmaus that was about seven miles from Jerusalem. It was Easter night, and Jesus uh, gave the impression that He was going to go on and let them take the exit to Emmaus off the main highway, and they urged Him to come. They said, no, no, come with us. It's getting late. The sun is setting. Stay with us, and we will share a meal together. We normally, on this Sunday as a church would be gathered here in the sanctuary, serving you the bread and the cup. We would be receiving God's grace and comfort and strength for our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit present in these ordinary elements of bread and juice. But because of the pandemic, we obviously have not been able to do that now for two consecutive months. God willing, we will do that on May 24th. We're going to have communion our very first Sunday back as a church. This debate, however, over what happens in the Lord's Supper, in the Eucharist, has been going on now for hundreds of years. It's divided Protestants and Catholics. And even among Protestant churches, mainline, independent, non-denominational churches, uh, there are differing opinions about what is happening when people partake of Holy Communion. Our own doctrinal standards as Methodists uh, point out this, this division, this difference, but affirm the reality of Christ's presence um, in, in the bread and the cup. Although we don't fully understand it and can't explain it, we, along with our United Brethren cousins who joined with us to become the United Methodist Church in 1968, believe that it is a means of grace by which God works invisibly in us, quickening, strengthening, and confirming our faith in Christ. Those who rightly, worthily, and in faith eat the broken bread and drink the blessed cup partake of the body and the blood of Christ in a spiritual manner until He comes. That's one of the articles of faith out of the EUB church which became part of our United Methodist tradition. United Methodist, along with other Christian traditions, have have tried to provide clear and faithful interpretation of, of Jesus' presence in the Holy Meal. Um, again, we don't fully understand it, but we say that it's more than just an act of remembrance or a memorial. We understand the divine presence in temporal and relational terms in the Holy Meal of the church, the past, present, and future of the living Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit come together so that we might receive and embody Jesus 
as God's saving gift for the whole world. And Paul seems to indicate this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 uh, through 17. And, and in verses 16 and 17, he says, The bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. The word sharing comes from a Greek word that can be translated as... as uh, a fellowship or communion. There is something deeply spiritual, something almost mystical uh, that is happening in this uh, encounter with Christ anytime we come to the communion table. So when we look at this amazing resurrection account in Luke 24, we cannot help but see overtones of, of the Lord's Supper. Although there's no explicit indication here that that is what Jesus is doing when He breaks this bread. Three days earlier with the twelve in the upper room, He instituted what we call the Lord's Supper. Um, many refer to it as the Last Supper. He took a loaf of bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We must never, ever forget the cross, the sacrifice of Jesus. But we must also hold on to the reality of the resurrection. And these two things, core historical events that form the basis of our, of, of our Christian faith, where God broke through in salvation history, that had been prophesied and talked about for hundreds of years by the prophets in the Old Testament. This coming of Messiah brought His death and resurrection, His cross and empty tomb together. So that when we have communion together, we say in the great thanksgiving, Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. God is not finished with this world. It may seem at times that the world is finished and that the end is near, but God will intervene finally, once and for all, with the coming of Jesus a second time. And when the Gospel of Luke was written, keep in mind this was written at least 30 years after that first Easter, um, the memory of Jesus had certainly faded in the experience, in perhaps the hearts and minds of some, the remaining disciples are old men now. Their hair is gray, it is thinning. Uh, they will um, suffer horrendous deaths through martyrdom as time passes. And, and Luke seems to be answering this question, how do we experience Jesus? How do we encounter Jesus after so many years? And he is saying to his audience, to the early church, I believe, that it's at the table. It is at the table in the breaking of bread. This fact suggests that Jesus reveals himself in the basic moments of life. He is in our homes, in the middle of, of this chaos of everyday life. In Luke's gospel, Jesus is frequently in the homes of people eating meals with them, loving them, though others had shunned them and had marginalized them and rejected them. Jesus 
was in this intimate place. There, there really are few places more personal and more intimate than sitting at someone's table and enjoying a meal, are there? And this is where we find Jesus being heard, being listened to, and being experienced. Uh, Luke's Gospel especially focuses on the table of Jesus having meals with people. Uh, he was invited to the home of a Pharisee who generally speaking were not Jesus' friends, but His enemies. And at the table of this Pharisee, a sinful woman enters with uh, some precious ointment and she anoints His feet. In Luke 9, the table was out of doors as 5,000 people were, were fed with the multiplication of fish and bread. In Luke 10, He's at the home of these dear friends, Martha and Mary. As Mary sits at His feet, uh, just soaking in, hearing and listening to every word. And Martha fretfully, anxiously is preparing the meal in the kitchen. In, in Luke 14, there's the parable of the great banquet. In Luke 15, there is uh, this complaint that comes against Jesus because He spends so much time eating meals with sinners. He welcomes them the scribes and the Pharisees said. And so Jesus tells three parables about what it means to be lost. And the third one is the parable of the prodigal son. And how does the sinful, rebellious, wayward son get welcomed back into the family? Uh, the father throws a feast. They gather around the table. In Luke 19, Zacchaeus, the tax collector, is told by Jesus, uh, today I'm going to be at your table and we are going to share a meal together. So, so we experience, we can experience the presence of Jesus not just at the table of the Lord. We miss, desperately miss Holy Communion, do we not? We miss it. I've had several of you ask me, why can't we have communion? And, and though our bishop and leaders in our conference have encouraged us not to do any kind of online communion experience, today, at your table, at your home, I have faith to believe, and I hope you do as well, that Jesus is with you. He is the unseen guest. And as we do something that ancient people have done for thousands of years, as we break bread virtually, online together, we invite Jesus to come into our homes, to the brunch table, to the early lunch table, we, we invite Him to be present with us. And, and that is what I did early, very early this morning as I buttered my gluten-free bagel. I just invited Jesus to be there with me as I sat in my recliner and prayed and which was nourished by His presence. I thought about how He had saved me as a young teenager, how, how He has fed me through my journey of faith, through ups and downs and many, you know, through many twisted paths. How He called me into ministry and has been my, my bread of life time and time and time again. How much I owe Him. How much you owe Him. Because of who He is. And how He has nourished the life of God in you. 
and at this communion rail time and time again. My heart burns within me when I think about how much I love Jesus and how much I owe Him. How much I owe Him. We serve a risen Savior who is in the world today. Amen? Amen. And even during a pandemic, our risen Lord is with us. He is in our homes. We are still the church, though we be scattered. (laughs) And He is with you today. Listen again to what Luke says in verses 30 through 32. When Jesus was at table with these two men... He took bread and blessed it and broke it and He gave it to them. And their eyes were open and they recognized Him. And He vanished from their sight. Then they said, Did not our hearts burn within us while we were on the road talking with Him when He opened the Scriptures to us? us." And then the Scripture says that they, they... turned around, though it was getting dark, took that two and a half hour walk seven miles away to Jerusalem to find the eleven and their companions and to tell them, He is alive! And they said, yeah, we know. (laughs) We have seen Him too. And they said, we experienced a burning in our hearts as He taught us. And our eyes were open to see Him for who He is as He broke bread with us. Why did Jesus vanish when He broke the bread? I've always wondered about that, and I don't know that there is a definitive answer to leave with you today, but I think it's, it's possibly a teaching moment by our Lord in saying to these disciples and to all of us that Jesus' real presence is not with the church physically today. He is not walking with us in body, but He is in us and with us in spirit by His Holy Spirit. And in these acts of sacrament and self-discipline, spiritual discipline that we share in day in and day out, corporately and individually, in our day-to-day private lives, Christ will now be with these men in a new, more powerful way. And with the women who came to the tomb and the eleven who were locked behind those closed doors in Jerusalem. And every time we eat ordinary bread, every time these men did, again, what every Jew in the first century did at every single meal, every time they broke bread, their hearts might burn, and they remember His extraordinary presence. Jesus is with us, friend, and Jesus is for us. I find it so encouraging that in a Pew Research poll that was released this past Thursday, that the impact of the coronavirus pandemic upon religious faith has not been as negative as one might, might think. In fact, one in four Americans say that it has deepened their faith. Just 2% say that their faith has been weakened by these last two months. Pew also found that religious Americans continue to pray and they are finding creative ways to stay connected to God. 
One African-American pastor said, I feel like the disruption of the pandemic has made us live live in a deeper way. We're having communion on live stream, he said. Everyone just gets their own elements, taco shells and grape soda or whatever, and, and we do it together online. And though we are not going to go that route, in just a moment, we are going to break bread together and pray. And as we do, I ask you some questions. Do you feel the presence of Jesus in your life right now? Are you holding on to Him? Is your love for Him growing stronger and dearer and more intimate? Does your heart burn with passion for Him and for His purposes? Do you love Him? Do you believe in Him? Are you trusting in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation? Do you lack assurance as John Wesley did for all those years? If so, today could be your altar's gate. Today could be your day of salvation. Today, today uh, could be the, the, the day that your heart is strangely warmed and you find yourself in an intimate, loving relationship with God's Son, the Messiah of Israel, the Savior of the world. Friend, He is here with us. He is present at your table, just as He is present when we gather for communion at the Lord's table. And so I would invite you now to take your bread and just imagine yourself in that, uh, in that home in Emmaus where Jesus has sat down at the table He's probably been offered a glass of wine or a cup of water, maybe some olives and some dried fish. He's sharing a meal with these two men, and he takes a loaf of bread and he breaks it. And as he tears it apart, he blesses it, and he gives it to the two men. And as they eat, their eyes are opened. And they see Jesus. Have you seen Him? Will you see Him? Come, Holy Spirit, come. As we eat this bread together in these moments. As we sit on our sofas, maybe propped up in bed or around a table in the kitchen or dining room. As we, as we experience Your presence in the privacy and the intimacy of our own lives and homes. We welcome You. We tell You, Lord, that we love You. Open our eyes to see You more clearly and to love You more dearly. Help us to understand the Scriptures, the foundation of our faith found in the Old and the New Covenants. Help us, Lord, to live lives that, that are more... Um, recklessly abandoned to your purposes in the days ahead. We do not know what the future holds, Lord, but you hold the future. You are already there. And as we live out our lives in this very difficult, unprecedented time, we thank you, Jesus, that you are present with us as we eat our breakfast, as we share dinner with family and friends, 
Uh, as we hustle through a, a drive through to pick up some food to take home uh, for lunch, You're there. You're with us, Lord. In the breaking of the bread and in the sharing of a meal, just as You were in the pages of Scripture. Come, Holy Spirit, come. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.